You know, I think Zach brought up some points as to why he came to CB that I think we can all relate to. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like the best way to get an education is by being a part of something, being in some sort of inclusive community. You know, Jack, that's a great transition to our conversation with Mrs. Winkett, which was about the core principle, inclusive community. We're here with author, teacher, and philanthropist, Mrs. Winkett. Mrs. Winkett, how's it going? Excellent. We're going to be talking to her about the core principle, inclusive community. Ms. Winkett, how do you think this principle applies to us at CB? Like, do we practice it well? Well, I think it depends on who you talk to. And I think if we're going to be a true inclusive community, we have to be open to the fact that this is something we can do better. And every day is a new opportunity to be more inclusive and to look at can I say this? Examine our own privilege, examine our own role in the greater society and the greater community, and think about daily things we could do to make everyone feel included and everyone feel a part of what we're doing here. Going to CB for three years, I feel like I've always felt very at home and welcome inside the classroom. And the teachers do a very good job of keeping all kids engaged and included, how do you feel like we could improve that sort of aspect of it? I think just continuing to work, I I mean, I can just talk about what I can do as a teacher. I haven't been into too many other people's classrooms, but one thing I can tell you what I do is I try to stay on top of educational data, try not to die of excitement, Right. but it's exciting to me, you know, new studies on how students best learn, how child development and brain development pertain to the classroom, how I can reach every single learner, you know, all, what can I do in my classroom in order to make sure that everyone is swept up and can learn the material to the best of their ability. And also keeping, a, you know, keeping myself well read, finding out what scholars and intellectuals and thinkers are doing, are saying about inclusive language. You know, how to avoid microaggressions. I'm a middle-aged white woman sitting on a throne of privilege. What can I do to make sure that I am not assuming my paradigm, the dominant paradigm, is is the only paradigm or the most important paradigm or even the most desirable paradigm? What can I do to make sure that every kid in my classroom feels that they have something equally important to offer, especially as we're learning how to be writers? You've taught at many different kinds of schools. I have, but I've never been fired. I chose to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And what makes this community unique then? Well, I think that we're trying the hardest to reflect the community that that we're settled in. That we, uh, you know, from a demographic point of view, we reflect Sacramento. And we have, you know, the whole thing of how, you know, something like over 30% of our students are subsidized in their tuition and education. We've really, we're really making a consistent concerted institutional effort that has to do with our charism to make sure that our student body is diverse. Is there an anecdote of your time here at CB that makes you like think just community? One of the ISP students from China. I remember Oh yeah. This. I totally and, remember this. Yeah and I actually mentioned it in in a sermon when I was giving a talk for the prayer service. And one of our we just had a really great community in that class and it was a diverse group. It was a diverse group ideologically too, by the way, which I know because of people's writing in journals, but you're also polite to each other within the classroom anyway that I don't, you know, I don't always know that a radical leftist is sitting next to a Trump supporter in the classroom. And 
I mean, I know that, but you guys don't know that because you tend to, at least in my classrooms, you tend to listen to each other and you're kind and respectful and things like that. So one of our ISP students um, shared with us in a discussion that day that she had suffered at Christian Brothers High School someone making a microaggressive remark about her eyes, her eyes being, you know, slanted or what, some, something awful, some kind of really awful thing this girl has said to her and laughed and that the girl at the time had laughed but that her feelings were really hurt and your class just like rose up in tremendous support of this kid um, just saying wow that we would not allow that to happen I wish I was there when when that person said that and she just felt this overwhelming you know flow of support from her fellow students in that classroom some of whom she didn't even know very well and the way everyone just kind of stepped up and embraced her um, was I was really a small moment. I don't think the rest of you kind of understood how grand that was, but I also saw it as real indicative of just the day-to-day kindnesses that I witness here as a teacher at Christian Brothers High School. So we were talking a little bit before this discussion about how your book, How to Be Manly, has kind of reached the audiences of, how did you describe them? wasn't nice what I said. Oh, darn it. Yeah, but no. I'm going to tell no. you who likes my books. Okay. okay. My books are often read in continuation high schools, community day schools, where the students are in and out because of uh, being incarcerated. Okay. Or f- somehow have been unable to remain in regular school because of being expelled or because of being so transient that they're not able to stay in school at one time. So How, how to Be Manly goes over very well with students who feel marginalized and disenfranchised <clears throat> and who are having a really, really hard time in their lives. And so it's read, for instance, a community day school in Del Paso Heights reads it as part of their English curriculum. And so I'll go um, whenever I can to um, teach the kids there and, and um, share the book with them and give an off their talk and things like that. And they love it. They, they, they love the book. And, so that's the crowd that it goes over really well so with. So that's you being inclusive in your writing as well, which is very interesting that there are different avenues and aspects to being in this inclusive community. Like it's not just with our CB community, but it's with the whole Sacramento area Right, as because well. what's the point? But well, I didn't write that to be inclusive. I wrote right. it because the story wanted to be told through me for some reason. And I was really inspired by the young men that I was their advisory teacher at um, Sakai okay. when I wrote that. These young men just were having these, some, some of them were having lives that were very difficult and they were just approaching life with such a wide open heart and taking care of their families and taking care of their friends and never complaining with lives that were kind of like out of a Charles Dickens novel, to be honest with you. They were so difficult. Really? And so I wrote that book out of admiration and just total awe of these young men that's how that's how I wrote how to be manly but you know if we're not being inclusive in our greater communities and what's it all for well here's the thing I've worked different places and that's true but I have always been a LaSallean educator right okay and that's part of it is because of the family I grew up in my dad was a Christian brother for 17 years before he met my mom and got married my uncle Luke Psalm was um uh, was very close to my family and he was a Christian brother since he was 15 years old until he died in like almost 90 and so 
and he was a big part of my upbringing and who I am as a person. And so I kind of had the LaSallean education in my household growing up. And I spent a lot of time at De La Salle High School, going to school with my dad and things like that. And of course, in high school, I took as many classes as I could at De La Salle. My husband went to De La Salle. All of his brothers went to De La Salle. So I have this LaSallean education kind of as part of my history. But everywhere I've been, I've been a LaSallean educator. I've been you know, there's no opt-out. There's no kid that I'm going to let sit in a corner and not participate. There's no, I mean, I'll, I can be really annoying as a teacher because I'm not going to let you sit there and not learn. Yeah. You can't put your head down. You have to sit up. You have to participate in your own life when you're in my class. I really insist. And all of those things are LaSallean. You know, it's not about me. It's about you guys. And that's also really LaSallean. He wasn't about like superstar teachers. He was about serving every kid and I love that. Miss Winkett's story about the ISP student who was met with tremendous amounts of love and care by her classmates really kind of embodies CB's love for others. And that love goes beyond the gates of CB. It goes into our immediate Oak Park community and even into the greater Sacramento area. You know, our motto, enter to learn, leave to serve. We have concern for the poor and social justice. And that's what we talked to Ms. Lystrup about. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Ms. Lystrup. We're here with Ms. Lystrom, the uh, Director of Christian Service here at uh, Christian Brothers High School and a teacher of comparative religion. How are you, Ms. Lystrom? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. I'm also great. <laughs> and so we're going to talk to her about, Jack, which core principle? So we're going to be talking to Ms. Lystrom about concern for the poor and social justice. And Ms. Lystrom, what does that core principle in general mean to you? Well, working for justice means making sure that people have their basic needs met. And so for me, um, I look around in society today, and as well as when I was growing up, I always seemed to look around and um, take in things that, I don't know, I think a lot of younger kids didn't take in. Um, I could see and recognize poverty at an early age and understood, maybe not intellectualize it, but understood that something was really wrong um, with the picture. And so I think I've, it's just always been a part of me. And as I got older, I just became more involved. Um, I've certainly done my uh, share of, of protesting and marching, but I think I really have gotten into um, working with the homeless. I did that for several years here in Sacramento. And now I'm I'm on a different venture. I'm doing a lot of baking. And while that sounds like, why are you baking? Um, because down the road, my hope is to um, put together enough products so that I could take it to like Loaves and Fishes or to the food bank um, where the volunteers are, places where people do volunteer work or where they're in need. All right. And how does that, I mean, you said you were um, involved in protests and now uh, working with the homeless. Mm -hmm. What story stands out to you the most out of all of those experiences? Certainly protesting is um, important to do. Uh, but I, I would say that working with the homeless has been um, very eye-opening. I worked um, on a film, a short film called Beautiful Youth with two former CB students, Mackenzie Long and uh, Catherine Shore. And we went and interviewed homeless youth that were by the river and living in camps. 
and um, personally I took things out to them when they were in need uh, but we were able to really get an understanding of what young people between the ages of 17 and uh, I'd say 22, 23 were really going through um, not having their basic needs met wanting to do all the things that young people do but didn't know how to go about doing something like that and when was this short film created? So it was released in 2011. Okay. And... Um it went to the Crest Theater, wow. and it showed it was very last minute, um, and it actually won the most attended. Really? Yeah, it was called Beautiful Youth because, uh, you know, homelessness, quite frankly, is often viewed as a very sort of an ugly issue. Yeah. But when you start to get to know these young people, they're quite beautiful. What was the main goal in creating that short film? Well. I wanted to bring awareness to what young people were going through, and my hope was, and, and by the way, this was a very rough film. I had never picked up a camera before. Um, was kind of uh, just being led by someone who was really in touch with the youth around there. Okay. Um, but Mackenzie and Catherine did a nice job on, you know, taking time out of their busy schedules to go out to the camps and such with me to actually make the film look a little better. But um, the goal was to um, provide like sociology classes, um, use it as an educational tool in Sacramento. And in fact, Sac State has used it in their, um, in an intro to um, a social class that deals with um, exchange students that come in or foreign students. So they they see that. Very cool. They have in the past. I don't know if they still are, but they did. And now bringing it back to the CB community, Ms. Lystrup, uh, you've been involved in social justice and protesting your whole life. Uh, but when you got here, what did the five core principles mean to you? I think one of the things that, um, I have to be very honest, I, I came here um, and I knew about uh, the LaSallean mission, but I didn't really begin to understand it until I was actually working in it. And um, I think the biggest thing for me now is the idea of inclusive community, which is another aspect of, was another point on this star of the five core principles. And they all piggyback on each other, certainly, but um, I do look at this campus and um, I think that, frankly, I do think that there's a lot of good that, that goes on here and the students are great, but there's still a lot like in every school that can be improved on. And um, I think inclusive community really means um, taking a look at the students, and there are students on campus who feel marginalized or a little bit disenfranchised, and how do we bring them into the fold, or at least um, recognize their different needs and address them in a way that is um, um, uplifting. So you asked the question of how. How are we going to bring them? How do we make them feel more accepted? How do you feel that we would be able to do that on this campus? I think, first of all, um, students need to look around. And I think that um, they need to pay attention during break time, during lunches. Look around and see if there's a a student that's sitting by themselves or um, seems a little distraught. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And... To be able to, because I think CB students are capable of this, and I think they do this, um, uh, to be able to approach that person and say, hey, are you okay? Or just make eye contact. Hello, how are you? I mean, certainly the larger issues would be educating, um, educating students, educating in the classroom about this, um, implementing social justice into curriculums across not just religious studies, but 
you know, across um, history and uh, mathematics and foreign language, all that can only um, elevate the core principles um, and help us recognize and become more of an inclusive community. Ms. Lystrop, what would you say it is like for someone uh, coming out of high school trying to get a job in social justice? I think right now um, there's a very big field. If you go on to college, there's a very big field in human rights and peace studies. And we can look around the world. We can look in this country, in our community, and see that you know there are human rights issues going on, whether that's access to water, to good housing, um, dealing with gentrification here in Oak Park. So I think first and foremost is to have an understanding of a focus what it is that you want to do and how you go about doing it and connecting with people who are in the community as well as volunteering and, and making sure you know the issues and not just, oh, wow, this seems really cool. I want to do this. Like really know it and understand it, you know, get your feet wet and get your hands dirty in it. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Lystrup. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And if somebody wants to find your short film, where where would we be able to find that? That's a good question. Um, because we did try to put it on YouTube, um, I enlisted the help of Mr. Hogan, uh, and we hadn't we haven't been able to for some reason get it onto YouTube. I'm not sure why. Okay. Um, but I have copies of it, and I think Mr. Hogan does as well. Okay. But um, I don't sell it, and I never sold it. It was just to. It was just for education. It was nice to talk to both of you. Thank oh, you thanks. so much. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you, too. All right. <laughs> you know, I think we should all follow the example of Miss Lystrup in her amount of service that she gives the CB and the Sacramento community. I think the main reason that Miss Lystrup is so good at what she does is she's got this immense respect for each of the people that she works with. And that's what we talked to Mr. Orr about, is respect for all persons. Mr. Orr, what does respect for all persons mean to you? Um, I think it's a it's clearly a LaSallean core principle, but for me in my own personal life, it's a core principle. And, and it's one of the more simple ones, meaning respect for all persons should be a consistent practice for everyone. It is hard for me to fathom in anybody's life or anybody's direction to respect for another person would not be there. Um, so it's very broad, it's very, at the same time it's very specific, but to me it's very normal and something that I would expect everybody would have. So let's get a little bit, <clears throat> let's get a little bit into your background. So how did you personally get into education? Well, I got into education, um, out of college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I was a kid that my parents set some expectations for me in a positive way to where I always knew I was going to go to college. Uh, but after college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I wanted to go get an education, get a degree. Therefore, I would be successful, make some money, buy a house, do all the things you're supposed to do. Um, in college, I began to get an interest in, uh, in juvenile delinquency. So almost juvenile hall, correctional kind of thing, kind of ways to work with kids. So that was always normal to me. Um, because I was a, a, a high school and college athlete, athletics had always played a role in what I did. So as an adult, after I finished college, I started working in juvenile hall, actually. Um, and I thought that I was going to go that route. Um, I had always been coaching and tutoring on the side. That was my livelihood. I did that because I love to do it. Um, then I got into some corporate work. And I began to work in different corporate agencies and um, did well there. You know, again, did all the normal things, had a good job, 
uh, got married, bought a house, had kids, did things the right way. But again, I had always been coaching. I had always been tutoring. I'd always been volunteering. That was the love of what I I wanted to do. I ended up partnering with some people actually through a church, through sports that engaged me in education. Funny thing is, is my dad told me years ago to go into education. I just didn't listen to him. <laughs> um, so it, it came in a full circle where I got to a good place where I said, what is it that I would do for free? How great is it to be able to make a living doing something that you would do for free? And ultimately, from a career standpoint, I always share this with young people, from a career standpoint, find something you love and that you would spend your life doing for free. That's the objective. Money and all that, that will come as it comes. But really getting to that place. So how I got into education is I got to that point. I was probably late 20s, early 30s when I kind of said, this is what I I would do for free and I want to spend my life doing. That is, um, that's a calling. It's not just a job, it is really a calling. So through prayer, through thought, through you know some conferences with people that I trust, you know, I went into education and it has been a, it's been rewarding ever since. It was the best decision I ever made. So Mr. Orr, you've been involved in so many different academic communities. Uh, you used to be a principal down in Stockton. You were involved with St. Hope over here. What makes the CB community so unique? The CB community is unique, um, I think, because of the clear, consistent message that everyone follows. Um, the, the practices for me, especially through these core principles, these were things easy for me to grab because these were things that I believe in anyway, and I've believed in my entire life. So I structured my life in that way. When you work for other schools and organizations, you try to create different policies, different principles. You try to create the formal processes that uh, St. John Baptist de La Salle has already created for Christian Brothers. So literally, I tried to implement like-minded pieces at St. Hope, at Aspire. So the, the, the mindfulness of doing things in that way with a good spirit is something that I tried to implement in every step of the way. The thing that's unique about Christian Brothers is it's already set. And it's done in such a traditional core principle kind of way that it's 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 so deeply ingrained to be able to work alongside other teachers and other educators um, that have the same vision that I have is super rewarding to be able to work with students and families that come into a place that already has a level of tradition. um, It's rewarding. So being able to, to partner myself with people that are already aligned to a great vision um, gives you a really, really good direction as a school leader. What are some lessons that you hope every CB student learns as they come through with their four years? So there's multiple lessons, but I think the key piece is what's out on our wall. Okay. Right. Enter, enter to learn, leave to serve. So the service piece of it is so much and, and it's interesting because as I knew we were sitting down for this interview, I was thinking through some of these core principles, right? Right. So thinking about serving folks and thinking about uh, not only leaving a legacy here, but going out and promoting it. So there's a, uh, you know, there's a a quote in the Bible, and I, I don't know if I'll, I'll do it exactly right, but it was Second <laughs> Timothy, either First Timothy or Second Timothy, but it was something to the effect of God does not want us to have a spirit of timidity, but of love, power, and self-discipline. So what that means to me is that 
when we believe in something at the core of what it is, then we should be able to scream it from a mountaintop. When we believe in something at the core of what it is, then we should be able to lead others and do God's work, not in a timid way, but to really get out and do the work. So when you think about, um, you know, over this last semester, what I've seen and what's going to be big to me is it is a privilege to be right here in Oak Park. It is a privilege to be this. This school was built here for a reason. And I think that God has his hands on it in a certain kind of way. But to really, if I had anything that young people are going to leave Christian Brothers with, it's leave with the mindset of service. Leave with the mindset of making your world, I know that's cliche, but making your world a better place. It's really what it is. And you'll be able to do that in the college town that you go in. You'll be able to do that as adults, you know, when you, you know, settle in with your families, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a lifelong thing. Um, being here, I think, is a, is a privilege. Um, and through that privilege, there's some expectations behind it. And I think it's our duty to be able to give out um, in a good way. So I hope that every student will be able to leave with that being a part of their lives. Tying it back to respect for all persons, our core principle, how do you feel that leaving to serve is doing that in a sense? Okay. Um, so if you, if you take respect for all persons and, and put that into context, that means every single person. And clearly, um, you know, as you go through life, you're going to meet different folks. Um, if you look at society, there are a lot of uh, people that, that, that have. There are a lot of people that have not. So respect for all persons is really acknowledging what, you know, how you can make an impact on those persons' lives. Um, respect for all persons is understanding that everybody uh, is created uh, under the hand of God, every person. Uh, respect for all persons is how we treat every single person to have, to have not, the nice, the, the not so nice. Um, you know, how do we treat everybody with a level of respect? And, and it, it, to me, it taps into your character, who you are as a person. So who I am as a person, I'm going to show respect to everybody. Sometimes it's difficult to show respect to those who don't respect you. Right. Uh, but God will still give you guidance to do that in a strong way without engaging in a disrespectful way. And so, uh, you know, to me, it's if you ever get to a place to where you feel that there's a lack of respect, you know, think about what God would want you to do at that time. It's maybe not disrespect. Maybe it's a walk away. Maybe it's a pause. Maybe it's a prayer. But at some point, it's never getting to a point to make others feel bad. Um, right. You know, but that's I think that's a constant practice that everybody should have. And again, to me, it's not um, to me, that's not extreme. That should just be a norm that we should have for everybody that we meet. Uh, how, how do you think RCB community can get better at respecting everybody? Mm. How can we get better at respecting everyone? How can we as a community get better at respecting everyone? Um, that's a great question. So I would ask. What are the instances or what occurs that cause us to be disrespectful? So I'm thinking about how do we respect everyone? How do we perfectly respect everyone? I would almost question at what point or what opportunities do we have or what things occur that put us in a place where we are being disrespectful? I haven't seen that. I've seen us, yeah, not being perfect. We can you know, be a little bit nicer in different kind of ways. But to the level of disrespect, I haven't seen that. Um, I, again, I will go back to what I said previously. There's a strength in what we do. And I believe it's our duty not only to show respect to others, but to require that others do it to others. I said that in a long way, but here's the <laughs> process. If, 
if I believe in respect for all persons and I should be able to treat folks that way, if there is an incident that I see where somebody is treating another person in a disrespectful way, am I in a place to be able to fix that? Am I in a place to be able to address that? And I think a lot of times as, as, as Christians, again, thinking about that timid piece, sometimes we walk away from those kind of things. And we say, well, it's not me, I'm not gonna get involved. Well, if enough of, a, if enough of us say it's not me and I'm not gonna get involved, then we can't really fix it. It's going to take a leader, it's gonna take somebody that has some strength and some belief in character and respect for all persons. If I believe in respect for all persons, then when I see it in a disrespectful way, then I need to say something about it. And that can be me at a school, that can be you at a store, that can be so-and-so at a coffee shop. When you see disrespect, if you are in a place to be able to fix it, and that doesn't mean go out and, and be a superhero, but it does mean that when you are in a place to be able to address um, disrespect going on in your community, in your family, in your neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera, then we should be, we should be strong enough to say something about it, not just turn a blind eye. And I think that's the level of leadership that God wants us. That's the level of power that God wants us to have and not be timid in our faith, but to be able to say this is not okay. Um, and I'm going to do my best to try to help correct it. Jack, this has been a great semester of Talent Talk. I agree, John. I think it's been such a fun experience and a great idea. That was 100% my idea by me. No, oh. It was um, my idea. I don't know about but that. But I think this last episode is probably the most important to our CV community. I think you're right, but I feel like we have some more stories to tell. So... Next semester, we come back with Talent Talk Season 1.5. All right, have a Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And this has been our special edition of Talent Talk. We'll see you guys in January. Sweet. I think that's it. Yeah. High fives. Sweet. <laughs>